Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So welcome to part two of the You Are Gifted series. It's a really big topic. I wish we could do more on Sundays, but I I think this topic is one that's so highly personal that it really requires a lot more personal reflection, exercises, interaction with people, processing time, and I think it's just better in a classroom. So that's the reason we're offering School of Kingdom Ministry for what we're talking about today, and I just found out we're going to also be offering, uh, beginning the weekend of September 15th, a class on Gifted by Design for you to discover how you might be designed by God, created by God, uniquely wired by God, or if your parents come and go through the class because you might be able to use the class to help you figure out how your kids are uniquely wired and parent them even more specifically according to how they're, parent, how they're wired. So that's going to be starting the weekend of the 15th, and there's going to be two options. Just email me uh, one or both which option you want. It'll either be a five-week class on Sunday mornings during one of the services here, or if, you, if that doesn't work for you, the, 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 the instructor who's just fantastic at doing this is going to also offer a Saturday morning venue uh, where it'll be more of a one-shot workshop type thing for you. So just email me, Ross, at go to Quest, and let me know what you're interested in, which of those venues you're interested in, and we'll get you plugged in with that. So uh, last week, we talked about how God gifted us by design, the way he created us. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward with anticipation to this, uh, you know, all these uh, Buckeye four and five star, this unproven talent. I'm hoping they're gifted by design to return us to a national championship this year. Anybody else? Yeah. And allow me this morning to extend an invitation on my behalf. And actually, since my son here, because I just mentioned him, he's going to want me to pay him five bucks because I didn't ask permission. But he and I would like to invite you to root for our ducks next week. They're playing an SEC team. So this invitation is kind of an enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of an invitation. You know, you can cheer for us next weekend. So uh, today we're going to talk about how God has gifted us beyond our design. God is gifting us, empowering us, and working through us by His Holy Spirit in ways that are beyond our own abilities. So last week at the end of the message, I revisited the the whole dream about color and how God wants to just bring color around us and all that kind of stuff. We talk about that every now and then. But but this is really critical to that being happening through us. For many in the church world, we love to talk about morals and wise ways of living, and that's fantastic. We love to talk about how God forgives us and is willing to forgive any who receive him. That is core. We love to be about social justice and social issues and be practically involved in alleviating poverty and human trafficking and other things. I'm thrilled about what we're doing there, and Poverty Plus is going to be fantastic this year. I can hardly wait to tell you all the details next week. But how is so much of that any different than our culture? Our culture loves social justice issues. Our culture loves to critique what is good and right and wrong. And and we may not agree with where they land on all that stuff, but they love to make those judgments. Our culture loves to talk about living guilt-free. What is it that the church has that the world does not also have? 
Now, certainly, I believe we have a true, more fully encompassing good news in who Jesus is and and what that means. But But there's also more to that. In the past 20 years, our culture has been so spiritually hungry in a way that it hasn't been for a long time before that. Uh, we saw it beginning uh, years ago with Oprah and Deepak Chopra. And, and, and even if you've studied the postmodern critique that went on, the postmodern critique was all about reflecting on the many ways that the purely rational, empirical view of reality that the, the modern world had lived in for so long was inadequate. And there was this drive within that critique to seek experience, to seek spiritual experience. And so what's happened in our world today is the truth in our world today is often not what makes the most empirical, rational sense, but what feels right and what seems to make us feel right and are about ourselves and about the world. And it's not all bad. There's, there's some elements in that that, that are true. It's, it's really this pursuit of spiritual experience. Yet how does the church respond to that? Uh, We respond with apologetics and defending the faith, and that's critical. We discuss, we debate, we persuade. That's just so necessary and good. It's all great. We respond by doing good works as Jesus instructs when he says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And we do that really, really well as the church in America. The Bible-believing church in America gives far more time and far more money to charitable causes than any other population subset in America by far. It's not even remotely close. But how do we as a church make God real? We do it by loving like Jesus loves. And we talk about that and our relational approach to, to our, our mission and our vision. And we do it by doing the Holy Spirit works that God gives us through the gifts we're talking about today. See, I want our church to be, to be defined by winsome, loving, gracious, humble people where we reach in friendship and show the radical love of Jesus across all divides and we also allow within those relationships the expression of the gifts that we're talking about today so that people, when they interact with us, they know in tangible ways that God is real And God is for them, and God wants to be personal in relationship in a powerful, loving way with them. See, what we're talking about today is critical to God being more than an idea, but also a person we in our world relate to. And for Jesus and the early church, these spiritual gifts, they were, they were a primary vehicle that you see expressed in the early church for making God real and visible to people helping them know that God is more real than they can ever imagine, not just an idea out there. And they are a significant part today for us in answering the spiritual hunger of our culture. The most concise list of those gifts are found in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not going to say that's all of them, but but that's what we're going to mainly touch on today, and we're just going to focus on those next week as well. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, beginning in verse 4, says this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Let's skip down to verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. The manifestation of the Spirit, referring to these gifts, is given for the common good. 
Now, that word manifestation, that's, that's not a word we use a lot today. It's, but, but it's communicating that these gifts are beyond our design. They are God manifesting his presence and his power through us. These gifts are where God and his power is being made into something we experience and we see. They're, they're not about us. They're about God's presence. And the purpose of these gifts are beyond our own ability, but the but purpose is to serve the common good, to be other-focused and bring glory to God. We'll see in a minute in the text. And then it goes on to list uh, the core of these gifts that are beyond us, and, and we're just going to run through these quick. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, and in Christian circles we often call this the word of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. We call that word of knowledge. To another, faith by the same Spirit, a gift of faith. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit, a gift of healing. To another, miraculous powers, a gift of miracles. To another, prophecy, the gift of prophecy. To another, distinguishing of spirits, the gift of discerning spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and still another the interpretation of tongues, the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And for some reason, this last one, tongues, it's such a lightning rod. I mean, many people can acknowledge all of the other gifts in this list, but tongues, for some reason, elicits this reaction, this resistance that is so often quite profoundly disturbing. I don't fully get it. And yet the Bible goes on to say all of these... All of these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. See, all of these are good gifts, which are the work of God's Spirit through us. God gives them. They are from him. And all God's gifts are good. Now, among many streams of Christian thought, these gifts are often referred to as the power gifts or the word gifts. You'll hear those terminology used about them. There's a branch of Christian theology called cessationism that believes that these gifts that we're talking about today largely ceased, thus thus the word cessationism, with the death of the apostles. But if you really get to know cessationists well, most cessationists believe healing or others of these gifts still, still happen now and then. But they define that every now and then happening as rarely as kind of exception to the rule, not, not the rule. Like, like you might experience someone being miraculously healed through prayer once, twice, uh, maybe a few times in your life. They might say that God will prophesy through someone or give a word of knowledge that might, that might happen every now and then or very, very, but not real often. One of the most inspiring one-hour lectures I ever heard was by a professor whose Princeton Ph.D. dissertation traced how these gifts that we're talking about today have been present in every century, in fact, indeed in every decade since the time of Christ in the experience of the church. It's interesting because his Ph.D. dissertation was on how these gifts had not ceased with the apostles, and it, had def- and it had to be defended, this dissertation, before a panel of people with doctorates who were mostly cessationists. He passed with flying colors in his dissertation. See, the problem I see and the reason I am not a cessationist is that most of my cessationist friends, when I get to know them and their spirituality, how they talk with God, how God works through them and communicates through them, my cessationist friends actually exhibit most of these gifts we're talking about today in their lives and actually fairly regularly, even though they don't label them as we would label them here today. 
Even among famous preachers throughout history who did not explicitly believe in these gifts like John Wesley and D.L. Moody, if you read their journals, you actually see the gifts we're talking about today present in their lives and their experience. And to me, that is just this beautiful, awesome statement about how good God is that all of us can be encouraged by, that even when our beliefs might not allow for something God wants to do or we might make it a little bit harder for God to do something, when we have honest relationship and we have an honest pursuit of faith in Him, He does those things anyway through us, even if we don't always label them the same way. He is a good God who gives good gifts and empowers us beyond our own design to do His kingdom work. God has designed you and and gifted you by design. And God also wants to regularly and is regularly gifting you beyond your own design, even if sometimes you don't recognize that. In ways that demonstrate God at work in your life and how alive and how personal and how present God wants to be with people. I think this is a really, really exciting topic, don't you? So we're going to talk more about the details of these gifts next week. uh, But let me give just a quick summary of what some of these gifts are and so that we can have kind of a common reference point for our discussion today. So word of knowledge is usually defined as when God speaks to you about someone or a situation and giving you knowledge that you couldn't have except for God revealing it to you. Word of wisdom is knowing how to navigate a conflict, a difficult situation, a difficult relationship in a way that clearly has a divine imprint. And wow, you could have never predicted that that was going to be the wise way to get through this with any kind of reliability. But you know that you know that you know because God speaks to you and gives you this gift. This is the way to go. Prophecy is God speaking to you and giving you something to encourage others and build them up. That might be God speaking to you through you to encourage a person in how they're gifted and their, their calling and their divine purpose. It might mean God speaking through you in a way that the other person knows that God knows their situation and is at work in their situation, leaving them encouraged that, yeah, God knows. Occasionally, it might even include something akin to predicting the future, which is, I think, what most people think about when we use the word prophecy. But in practice, I think, I think predicting the future is, is a very small part of the gift of prophecy. I think encouraging and confirming how God thinks about someone or their calling or their purpose or their giftedness or their situation currently that they're currently in is really more so the norm for this gift. We'll revisit those gifts next week. We'll, we'll illustrate them biblically and we'll give some current examples of how they show up in our lives today. That's what the focus of next week is going to be. Where I want to spend my time today is, is when we discuss this type of a topic, I think many of us go to this place where we hear things like this, that, that God wants to give us gifts of prophecy or knowing something we couldn't know without Him telling us or, or working through us to pray and see something miraculous happening. And, and we go to this place where we think, oh, that just seems, just seems too big. It's too far out. It's too much for me. See, when I have conversations with people around this topic asking things like, have you ever given a prophecy? Uh, have you ever had a word of knowledge for someone? Have you ever spoken in tongues? And they'll, they'll kind of say, well, no, no. And, 
And if you kind of press the conversation, press into it just a little bit more and ask them, well, why not? What keeps you from receiving and operating these gifts that God wants to give? People will generally boil down the reasons why they don't experience these gifts into one or both of two things uh, that basically describe how we feel inadequate, unqualified, not a person God could do this through. First, you often hear people say, well, I'm too analytical. I'm not mystical. I'm not the person who loves to pray all day, and I'm not that emotional, and I'm not that sensitive. I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm a scientist. I'm an accountant. And I'm not a person who cries easily or gets emotional. I'm not a holy roller, spiritually weird person. I'm rational. I'm logical. I'm scientific. And that's our objection. But, but I challenge you to read this text or any of the texts in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts and tell me where you see in them that it says you have to be a certain kind of emotional or mystical to receive these gifts, some sort of non-analytic mystic to receive these gifts. I mean, Paul, the one who's writing this letter to us himself, is an intellectual, analytical, strategic giant. In fact, after we get done with describing the gifts next week, maybe, maybe one of the best ways for you to follow up this topic and, to, and explore it more would be for you to reread the Gospels and highlight every time Jesus prophesies, every time he gives a word of knowledge, every time he gives a word of wisdom, or every time he heals someone or discerns a spirit or any other gift that we talk about, and ask yourself in that moment, when you observe that, is Jesus weird in that moment or is he overly emotional in that moment? And I think what you'll find is that Jesus is just natural relational. And wise. He, he, he just talks to people like he would be talking over, you know, a cup of coffee and how he relates so often in those moments. Not always, but most of the time. See, that's one of the things I love about the vineyard DNA. John Wimber made popular the phrase naturally supernatural. Don't be weirdly supernatural. Hype supernatural. Just be yourself. Be normal in your relationships. I mean, no doubt. If you've had a wide experience in various kinds of Christian churches and movements throughout history, you can find ones that have become over, overly hype-oriented and or have become weird. And, and honestly, God is so gracious. He works through them, just like He gives His gifts through people who don't necessarily believe that they even exist today. See, the fear of weird that comes when we talk about these spiritual gifts that are beyond our design isn't based in Scripture. It might be based in some bad teaching. It might be based in some exposure to some weird experiences like snake handling. Trust me, I hate snakes as much as anybody in this room. I'm never going to have you show up on a Sunday morning and have a box of poisonous snakes that we're going to hand around and handle so that we can have some sort of weird spiritual experience. Or maybe more likely, the gifts have been experienced as weird because you've seen people being overly intimidating in their communication style, throwing coats at people, yelling, being authoritative, pushing people until they fall down. But see, that's not what the Bible teaches. Those kinds of actions are not loving. Though you might not be in control of receiving this gift, these gifts that we're talking about today because they originate with God, you are still in control of how you express them. 
And Paul admonishes us in 1 Corinthians 14, follow the way of love. The purpose of these gifts is love. And if they are not received lovingly by the people we give them to, then we have somehow done something wrong in the way we have communicated them. And eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, that verse goes on to say. A second objective, objection is often expressed in several ways. But again, when you boil it down, all of the reasons given, you come up with a simple, I'm defective. I'm unworthy in some way to receive these spiritual gifts. I'm not a spiritual giant. And God only gives prophecy and, and knowledge and wisdom gifts to spiritual giants. And he only heals people through prayer of spiritual giants. And I don't know enough of the Bible yet. I'm not mature enough. I, I'm, I don't fast every Tuesday and Thursday. I don't read and pray three hours a day and read my Bible and pray three hours a day. I still get road rage. And way too often when I'm on my way to church, I have a fight with my spouse or my kids. I'm not a spiritual giant. I'm a spiritual weenie. Do you hear the expectation in those objections? The expectation is that I have to be some sort of near-perfect, really, really mature spiritual person for God to use me in these gifts. And there are several just fundamental problems with that thinking. First actually originates in in the text that actually talks about this. The Greek word that's used for gift is the word charisma. It's actually where charismatic churches get their designation from. They don't get their designation because they have these charming, charismatic personalities as leaders. Rather, they are churches who believe and seek to figure out how to practice these gifts of the Bible as, as, as you see them in the Bible. Charis, actually, the root form of this actually means grace. Charisma means it's a gift of God's grace. Spiritual gifts are a gift of God's grace. So what is grace? I mean, we kind of know this, but what is grace? Grace is God's love, forgiveness, and favor that he freely showers on us, on us as a gift when we choose to respond to him and believe him and receive the gift. It's not something you earn. That wouldn't be a gift, right? In other words, these gifts, these spiritual gifts, are not based on merit, not based on how good, how knowledgeable, how mature you are. They are gifts of grace from God. And second, the way these gifts can safely operate among us is if we don't put them on the level of Scripture. Spiritual gifts must line up with Scripture. See, Paul is exhorting These Corinthians, these messed up, crazy Corinthians, if you read the book, he's talking to some people who are really stuck in immature, weird kind of stuff, right? And he's asking them to eagerly pursue these gifts. He's not asking them, especially prophecy, he's not asking them to write Scripture. He's not asking them to do the kind of prophecy that you see in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel in the Old Testament level scriptural prophecy. Scripture is the inspired word of God. Nothing we hear from God in our own prayer time or through one of these gifts trumps Scripture ever. If someone says, I have a prophecy for you, 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 uh, God's telling you to dump your wife and uh, go get your friend's wife and live on a yacht in the Bahamas together as a couple, that, that's not God prophesying anything. It's prophesy, prophecy maybe originating with your own desires or, or the devil. 
And there are plenty of bad spiritual experiences out there that are counterfeit experiences. I've watched, I've watched plenty of people over the years justify their sinful behavior, divorcing their spouse or damaging and damaging their family or their overuse of substances or unethical business decisions or racism or whatever the sin via spiritual experiences they claimed were God speaking to them, but clearly they weren't God speaking. Further, not only are we to submit every spiritual gift to the criteria of Scripture, but Paul says uh, spiritual gifts are to be submitted to careful scrutiny. Our own personal scrutiny of them and the scrutiny of trusted followers of Jesus around them. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. That word translated way comes from the Greek word meaning to make distinction, to separate, to discriminate. Just because someone has a prophecy for you doesn't mean all of it is perfectly from God. I think I've said this before many years ago. There was a woman in the church I was a part of back then that God had worked through a lot in the gift of prophecy in really profound ways to speak to me and to speak to so many other people. But she also had this personal struggle in her life that whenever anybody moved away, even if they weren't real close to her, she always felt like they were rejecting her. And so at the same time, God was working through her to so profoundly confirm things that God was actually already speaking to me about my purpose and my calling. She would always add to the end of those words or somewhere in those words, and you're going to do that here. God's saying you're going to do that here. Why? Because she didn't want to feel rejection. She didn't want anybody to move away. Some of her stuff mixed with God's stuff. Learn to distinguish, learn to weigh, to separate, to discern, Paul says. What an awesome learning experience, though, and a gift from God that was to have that experience with her, to learn to be able to celebrate the gift of God given through her to me and to weigh, to carefully separate and enjoy the meat and throw out the bones. I mean, think about, think about how cool that is to receive a gift of God from someone else. But, but think about that even more so about how cool that idea is for you. So often when we feel like God may be speaking to us a word of wisdom or knowledge or something for someone else, a gift of healing that he wants to do through us to, in some way to someone else, we tend to hear God and we tend to get really uptight. We tend to get nervous and say, oh man, can I speak for God? God, can I just do this right? I just need to do this just perfect. I, I, I just got to do this perfect, right? We get so uptight. I mean, God knows. God gave you that gift out of his grace, knowing you don't merit and knowing that some of your stuff might get mixed in, that you're not perfect. That's the reason God asks us to weigh things, to discriminate, to throw out the bones and eat the meat and enjoy his gifts. See, recognizing that in all of us solidifies in us a humility. No matter how long or how capable you've been in receiving prophetic words for other people or healing or wisdom or discernment gifts from God for others, when you recognize your imperfection and just really settle that and that God is okay, And God is telling you, all of us, to sift it, to weigh everything. It is so freeing because it helps us stay humble. It prevents us from being overbearing and becoming too, God said this, right? Instead, leaves you in this place of, I can just live curious. 
I can do these things that God asks me to do and I can see what God confirms out of what I share as being from Him. It puts you in a place of being able to give those gifts to others, basically saying, you know what? I think God may want to say this to you. But you know what? You need to test it. And if it's from God, He'll confirm it. And if not, just know that I love you, God loves you, we're both for you. And then just tell them what you think God might have said. And let them weigh it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, again, showing to us that in his discussion of spiritual gifts, he's not talking to mature spiritual giants. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. The life of following Jesus and the power of the spiritual, the, the spiritual gifts that he wants to give us give is all about allowing God to work through us to serve others so that people know that God is real. Spiritual gifts are not about you. They are from God so that God is glorified. See, if everything we do as Christians is something we can do on our own, Where's God in all of that? How does that make God real, powerful, and present among us? Allow me to another moment to go one important step further, a really important step further. If we struggle believing we can operate in these spiritual gifts, these word and these power gifts of prophecy, healing, all of the gifts we've listed, and we, we, we think we can't because we don't think we're mature enough, then that simply reveals that the gospel hasn't taken deep enough root in your life. It reveals you don't really fully know and haven't fully received the gospel yet. Because it isn't because of you that God grants these gifts. The text goes on and says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness. His righteousness is our righteousness. His holiness is our holiness. It is Him who redeems us. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Okay, just step back a second. Think with me about the gospel for a moment. The good news of what Jesus has done for us. Because of Jesus, we are given this great, awesome amazing, beyond mind-blowing grace that we've been given. In Jesus, He offers us forgiveness for all we have ever done wrong and all we were ever ever do wrong. For He offers forgiveness for that. He, he offers us eternal right standing with God. And He gives us this guarantee when we follow Him that one day we will be restored by God to the perfect good that we were originally created to be that is actually what our hearts long for, what our desires are constantly longing for. Not because we did good enough to merit it, not because we prayed enough or cleaned up our lives lives enough. We are given those as the greatest of all graces for free as a gift. Now, think about it further. And God wants to give us these little graces of these spiritual gifts we're talking about that are beyond our design 
So here's the point I'm driving at in all this gospel talk. To argue that God saves us by grace and at the same time argue and believe that we aren't good enough for God to give these power and word gifts to us is like saying God in his salvation of me is giving me a brand new 2019 Bugatti sports car valued at $3.4 million and yet I still need to argue that I'm not worthy of having a radio or floor mats so I got to ask God whether the car has radio or floor, a radio or floor mats. It's like saying uh, God in his grace uh, through his salvation of me has given me this 10,000 square foot penthouse in Manhattan overseeing the Statue of Liberty and yet we still feel like we need to ask the real estate agent, does it have running water? And can we have running water? I mean, well, of course the Bugatti comes with a radio and floor mats and of course it comes with running water. I didn't check. Maybe it doesn't come with floor mats. Maybe it just has cashmere carpet all over. I don't know. I should probably check that one. But that's what, it, that's what it's like, isn't it? When we say God can give us this magnificent grace, the gospel, salvation, eternity, without us meriting it. And then we turn around and say, but, but God can't give me this prophecy or he can't work through my prayers to bring healing to someone else. See, 1 Corinthians 12 says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one of them, it is the same God at work. (coughs) Pardon me. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Lord. The gifts are from God. Spiritual gifts given to someone for you or for others doesn't mean the person who received that spiritual gift is more spiritual or more mature than you. The fact that God is working through them in that way simply means they are a person who has faith in God and trusts that God is going to give them good gifts through them in service of others. You could be a follower of Jesus for one day, You could be a follower of Jesus for a half a century and both of you could receive one of these spiritual gifts that go beyond your abilities and be used by God in a powerful way. Spiritual gifts are God becoming real, manifesting his presence among us, through us, to each other, even in our imperfection. See, I think there's a bigger issue. I think that we in our Christian faith struggle with an inadequate definition of maturity. We actually struggle because we live by a non-gospel-centered definition of what spiritual maturity in this life actually is. See, we tend to define maturity by all these character and scriptural knowledge things. So we say, you are mature. If you you never have a lustful or greedy thought, you never get angry. You're always kind. You never get anxious. You pray at least one hour a day. You never miss church. You know scripture well enough that you can quickly and authoritatively recall it so that you are never stumped by anyone's questions. You know more worship songs than you know Pearl Jam 21 Pilots or Rolling Stones songs. And you can do a quadruple twist triple backflip off a balance beam and nail it every time. See, a lot of that is good stuff that we do well to pursue, that we should be pursuing. But the church using that definition of maturity across the ages has all too often led Christians to be self-righteous and the church to be ineffective. 
A gospel-defined maturity as a follower of God is not someone who has character that is absolutely far better than other people. A gospel-defined mature follower of Jesus is not someone who has mastered the Bible and is capable of communicating that knowledge to others in all circumstances, though people who are maturing in their faith will be on a path to those two things I just mentioned. No, gospel maturity is a person who fully, humbly understands the gift of grace they have been given and trusts God's goodness. And because of that, is willing in faith to allow God to lead them and do anything God wants to do through them in life. Gospel maturity is if God wants to give it to me, I trust that it's a good gift and He will help me learn how to handle it well or cover up for my mistakes because of His grace. Gospel maturity is the Apostle Paul saying, I am the chief of all sinners. And God still wants to do amazing stuff through me by His gifts. See, being a mature follower of Jesus within a gospel-centered definition of maturity is simply how much do you trust God's grace and His goodness and not your own so that you are quickly able to be responsive to do whatever God asks you to do whenever He asks you to do something. So why don't we receive these gifts and see these more active in our lives at times? I think sometimes it's because we have never knowingly experienced these gifts and it's hard to understand and operate in something we have never experienced. Other times, I don't think we receive these gifts because of misinterpretation of what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 12, which I think puts us in the wrong posture in life. See, Paul says... And these, the gifts, are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. And we read that just as he determines, and we tend to say, well, I'm open to these gifts, but I guess God has never determined to give me any of them, because to my knowledge, I don't think I've ever prayed and seen somebody healed. I don't think he's given me knowledge beyond my ability. I don't think I've ever given a prophecy to someone else, or I've never discerned a demonic spirit. I, you know, I mean, the gifts that God has given me, God gifts me to clean toilets, and God gifts me to bring flowers to people in need, and he, he's gifted me in card counting, so I do really well in my Thursday night poker group, but prophecy, tongues, healing, miracles, nah, no, not yet, not yet. I know God can give them, But but I guess in his sovereign will and in his determination, he hasn't seen fit yet to give me any of these gifts. Have you ever felt that way or said that? That all sounds noble and and humble to say, God, I'm open. If God wants me to prophesy, pray for healing and see someone healed. If God wants me to speak in tongues, he can give me one of these gifts any time he likes. I'm available. That attitude and orientation is actually not an uncommon one in Christianity and hasn't been uncommon throughout history. In fact, back in the late 1700s and early 1800s, that kind of posture was the posture of the church toward evangelism. The common statement back then was, if God wants the Indians or the Chinese or the African continent or the Muslims to be saved, well, then God will do it. We don't have to do anything. As God is sovereign, if he wants to do it, he'll do it and we'll respond when he does it. I'm available. Into that mix came a guy named William Carey, who is now referred to as the father of modern missions. 
And Carey argued that God's sovereignty is no excuse for our irresponsibility or lack of effort or failure to obey God's word to do the Great Commission or the other commands of the Bible. He argued that God uses means, is what his word was, to reach people. In other words, God works through us and our efforts. God wants to save people, but he does it through the means of preaching and people sharing their faith with other people. Uh, if it's true, God is sovereign over everything. That, that's a true statement. But God is also a God of love. And love requires a willingness, a mutual willingness and a choice. So God gives us choice and our means, our effort matters. He is sovereign over our food, but he still says, pray for your daily bread. He says he's planned all of our days in advance and has good plan for us, but he still expects us to study, pass tests, learn things, work hard and pray. Sorry, all you guys in college, you still got to pass your test. He's sovereign over finances, but he expects us to work and budget wisely and give as he asks us to give and not fritter away what he gives us on, on fashion trends, trendy fashion trends. And, and as we read earlier, follow the way of love. And eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. That Greek word translated eager, it's this fascinating, powerful, pregnant word with meaning. You know what it means? It means eager. It means eagerly. Especially prophecy. Eagerly desire something that you have no control over is, is what Paul is saying. And only God can give you. But you eagerly desire it, you pursue it, not passively be available, not wait to see if God determines to give you a gift, but you eagerly pursue God, you pursue understanding, you pursue living and experiencing our good, outrageously generous God who wants to give us spiritual gifts that are beyond our design, beyond our ability. Why? Because these spiritual gifts that are beyond our design are God's way of meeting the spiritual hunger of our world for a real, living, relational encounter with a God who wants to be personal with them. See, it's one of the primary ways our gospel moves beyond just human words and wisdom and efforts and cute sayings to something divinely powerful. So how do we live out this Eagerness, this word eagerness. I mean, one way we express eagerness is simply be intentional in pursuing and learning and practicing and failing and trying again and just getting up and trying to stay at it until we grow adept at recognizing when God is speaking and cooperate eagerly with Him in these kinds of gifts of grace where He speaks to us for someone else and we give that gift of Him to another. Another way we can be eager is to reject the feelings of weirdness that have often for many of us been the barrier that keeps us from even engaging this topic. Just reject that. Don't even let that be a part of your life anymore. See the gifts that God gives, all of the gifts that God gives as good and freely pursue them. If you have never really experienced any of these kinds of gifts, don't have a frame of reference for them. Another way to demonstrate eagerness would be maybe to even return tonight for the Finger of God 2 movie, which is really just a documentary. The videographers set out with the idea, we're going to follow a couple people around who seek to try to live the gifts we're talking about out and demonstrate them, and they just captured them on video, and they just tell the story. 
Yet another way to eagerly desire spiritual gifts would be to join the School of Kingdom Ministry this year, to pay the money, commit the time. See, eagerness is an action. It's seen in action. Demonstrate eagerness by our actions. And when we do, God will give you good gifts from His Spirit because He's a good God and He promises to do so. At the least, the very least, walk out of here today and start living with a greater active expectation looking for how God wants to give you gifts that are really Him and His presence being given to other people. And you can maybe even start that now. Just stand with me as we prepare for worship here again. And maybe even now as part of this next worship song, spend a moment asking God, is there, is there something you want to say to a friend nearby or to somebody here? Is there a gift you want to give me that would encourage someone that God knows them, God loves them, God wants to be real with them? a word of encouragement that God wants to give. Lord, we just pray that you would help us all become more aware of how you speak to us to give good gifts to other people so that your spirit can work through us in that way, that we can experience the excitement of serving you, our God who is greater than us, our God who gifts us beyond our own abilities, and that we get to be a part of that good where you become real, where you do healing in other people's lives that there's no way we could have control over, but we get to be a part of that. So I pray that you would invite all of us, that you would uh, stoke each one of our, and every one of our hearts to just desire that relationship with you so that you can give us your gifts and we can see you glorified in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.